Coming to you from the HagmanReport.com studio. Located in the Keystone State, birthplace of a mighty nation, it's your host, Doug Hagman. Doug Hagman, HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. Folks, you need to go there, bookmark that website, click on the banner on top there for our shows. You can draw uh, on our show page, of course, uh, separated by episodes. Scroll down and um, you'll find some uh, popular um, segments from our shows. Got a fantastic show for you lined up today. Um, First hour, hour number one, out of the gate, Sam Andrews, Freedom Center USA, along with a gentleman that you may not know, but you should know, and... I'll tell you why you should know. Because much of the time, um, when we talk about action, doing things, being proactive, Dr. Proctor references this man as having written the ultimate set of books, series of books of three volumes, which is actually one volume. You're going to hear about this now today for you folks who are tuning in um, about how we take back our country, how we actually um, save our republic and uh, this is today, this segment is all about action, taking back our country. Candace Owens had said, you know, mask wearers are prepped for authoritarianism. And I agree with her. And face coverings, they're about power. Of course, they don't work. They weren't designed to work. They were designed, designed to depersonalize everything, to take away your individuality, and also to, uh, to see who would be best to subjugate themselves to the jackbooted thugs of tyranny. That's for sure. And as a matter of fact, kind of segueing from that right before I bring the guest, my guest They on. were designed for drywall work. There you go. There you go. You know. And that's about it. <laughs> Eric the Tech. Got to fix those bullet holes in the wall all the time. <laughs> Get that mask on there. And, and, and no, those weren't negligent or accidental discharges. Those were deliberate. And uh, hey, you know. What can I tell you? It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And no, actually, uh, I don't have a story. It's just anger. And, and here's my anger: I'm tired of being pushed around, and I'm tired about talk. I'm tired of talking about being pushed around. Are you ready to do something? Let's rock. I mean, let's do it. Be- before we do, let's take a look at uh, a segment, two minutes segment, real quick. Uh, I don't want to take time away from my guest, but uh, two minutes. Tucker Carlson last night raising the. Uh, Oh, the, the, raising the ire of the leftists, oh my goodness, by this two-minute, uh, whatever you would call it, monologue. Take a, take a listen, take a look. Did give in. This grotesque version of Halloween went on for more than a year, and it's still going on. Not even Tony Fauci still pretends that masks are medically necessary. Instead, masks are purely a sign of political obedience, like Kim Il-sung pins in Pyongyang. We wear them because we have to. The only people who wear masks voluntarily outside are zealots and neurotics. How neurotic are they? Well, we know. A Pew survey from last March found that 64% of white Americans who classify themselves as liberal or very liberal have been diagnosed with an actual mental health condition. And you see them everywhere when you walk down the street in any major city. If you dare to go on foot from Union Station to the Capitol, for example, in Washington without wearing a mask, angry Biden voters will snort at you in judgment. How you they're saying from behind the gauze how could you that's the question we should be asking of them in return 
The rest of us should be snorting at them first. They're the aggressors. It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in. So the next time you see someone in a mask on the sidewalk or on the bike path, do not hesitate. Ask politely but firmly, would you please take off your mask? Science shows there is no reason for you to be wearing it. Your mask is making me uncomfortable. We should do that and we should keep doing it until wearing a mask outside is roughly as socially accepted as lighting a marble in an elevator. It's repulsive. Don't do it around other people. That's the message we should send because it's true. As for forcing children to wear masks outside, that should be illegal. Your response when you see children wearing masks as they play should be no different from your response to seeing someone beat a kid in Walmart. Call the police immediately. Contact Child Protective Services. Keep calling until someone arrives. What you're looking at is abuse. It's child abuse, and you are morally obligated to attempt to prevent it. If it's your own children being abused, then act accordingly. Let's say your kid's school emailed you to announce that every day after lunch, your sixth grader was going to get punched in the face by a teacher. How would you respond to that? That's precisely how you should respond when they tell you that your kids have to wear masks on the soccer field. That is unacceptable, it is dangerous, and we should act like it, because it is. But too few of us have responded like that. That. If you're tired of being told what to do in th those cases, but even more, this is more than masks. This is, if you're tired of being pushed around, if you're tired of um, having your freedoms taken away from you, if you're tired of being tired, if you're tired of being tired, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, then this episode is for you. Sam Andrews from the Freedom Institute, um, Freedom Center, I'm sorry, Freedom Center USA, Freedom Center USA, and David Callahan, who's the author of uh, The Political Matrix, Matrix Exposed. It's a fantastic three-volume set, which he's making available to just you folks out there who are tuned into this broadcast at ccaucus.us. That's his website. It's in a PDF format. The link will be in the program description box. But with that, without further ado, Sam Andrews and Mr. David Callahan. Callahan, by the way, with an I, not an A. Again, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, remember? He spelled his last name differently, but uh, same attitude. David Callahan and Sam Andrews. Let's bring Sam on. Sam, how you doing, man, my friend? Great, Doug. Great to see you. It's great to be seen. Um, we got some work to do. Mr. Callahan, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you, Doug. Glad to be here. And uh, I like to say Dirty Harry couldn't spell. There you go. There you <laughs> go. Uh, well, Sam, it's been a while since we've had you on. And uh, Mr. Callahan, welcome for the, for the first time. And folks, uh, Mr. Callahan is, uh, you know, t two greater statesmen, I, I, tact tactical expert statesmen, um, people who care about this country. I, I don't think I could find any two better people, and I'm very honored to have you both. But Sam, why don't you start out? Uh, because I, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm done. I want to. I just want to walk away and and just. I'm not getting any younger, and I can't leave this mess to my my ch grandchildren. All right. So what do we do? Because I, again, I'm done. I'm done. That's it. So what do we do? Well, Doug, I've I've noticed over the last month uh, some pretty interesting. I want to say. Uh, I've seen your frustration grow. Oh, yeah. It's, I've seen yeah. the level, the aggravation in your voice, the anger in your voice. And I feel, I feel the same thing. I really do. And I think it's important uh, to talk about 
why that frustration level of has risen in me and you and a lot of other Americans. And I think it revolves around the lack of action. American sure. citizens are just not acting the way they should. They're, they're talking about their rights being taken away. They're talking about masks and why it's ridiculous that people wear them, but they're not acting. They're not, they're not taking action on the truth that they understand. And, you know, if you go to Hosea 4, 6 in scripture, you find an interesting verse that says something I'm going to paraphrase slightly, depending on the translation you have, but it says, my people perish for their lack of knowledge. And I spent some time last week studying that in the Hebrew and it almost looks like a mistranslation to me to some degree. It looks a lot like my people perish for their lack of concern for the truth or for their lack of acting on the truth. And I can't tell you, you know, exactly what it is, 100% for sure. But there's a lot of Hebrew words we use for knowledge that are, revolve around information or holding information. We, those words were not chosen by the author of Hosea, right? Uh, he chose a particular word that has a number of definitions that are known usage in the Hebrew language. And one of them is a concern for the truth. Another one is acting on the truth that you understand. And this is the problem in this country is we have Americans that aren't acting on the truth. They know masks are unhealthy. They know having a, your child wear a mask on a soccer field is nothing short of insane. But what are they doing to oppose it? Almost nothing. And, and see, this is the problem. When you don't act on the truth that you've been given, you might as well not have it. It's of, it's of no effect, right? And so the reason that I was so excited about being on this show with Dave is that Dave and I have been working diligently on a process where we can teach people how to act on truth and how to reestablish a fair and moral government in this country. And so I'd like to start with asking David a question and let him sort of give us some of his knowledge, which is extensive. And I, I want him to talk about um, why should Americans act? Why is the time for talking done? You know, procrastinating, talking, pontificating, all of these things we love to do about our God-given rights. Why is the time for talking about this over? And why is the time for acting now? What are the reasons we should be we should be acting at this very moment? David, can can you go go with that question for me? Sure, Sam. Uh, the first reason, in my opinion, that's the most salient, the, the the main reason, is because we need to be safe. We need to be secure. And. We need to feel as if we have control of our lives, not someone else. You know, they talk about self-defense, not someone else's defense. The idea is we don't want to be dependent on other people in our communities uh, to make sure that we remain safe. Uh, to me, that is a significantly important uh, value that we need to Number one in your, in your book would be the need for stability and security and safety. Absolutely. Not a, without a doubt. It's got to start. Next, what would be next on the list for you, David? I call it awareness and increased awareness. 
we need to we need to begin to wrap our minds around what's going on uh, so that we can revive revitalize we can bring back to life our god-given powers and authority in our communities uh, that we understand that as my dear friend edwin vera says we have infinite power but we don't even understand why it's there uh, then out of that we have god-given rights that come out of our ability to exhibit those powers and those rights need to be protected in our communities uh, to support our interests as human beings so that we don't have someone else telling us what to do <laughs> but we understand what our rights are and then thirdly out of that a god-given duty and this is something that's completely lost from our society today duty responsibility for being our brother's keeper and understanding that we have a place in our communities to protect one another and to support one another and to be involved in commerce with one another these basic ideas are all part of that awareness yeah i, th I find that fascinating you know most people that i know that are americans they understand a little bit about the fact that they have God-given rights, but they don't really talk much about their God-given power. And they, I certainly never hear an American talk about their God-given duty to their community to participate in a system, you know, that, that provides security and stability and honest representation of their community's interests. I think that's a fascinating point that you bring up. You know, I, I ask people all the time in my community, did you, did you go and vote today? And oftentimes I get this, uh, I, I was real busy today. I had to take Diane to soccer and Kevin had a baseball game tonight and, and I didn't get off work till, you know, it's one excuse after the other. And they look at voting like it's an option, like participating in your community's government and the representation of you and your family and government is somehow not a duty. And I think that's something that has to change and it has to change dramatically because I don't see any of that duty in the average American citizen. Doug, how do you feel about uh, that? 100%, 100% in agreement with you. You know, it's um, what David said. David Callahan, by the way, uh, us. The link is in the program description box. Sam Andrews, Freedom Center USA. Uh, you know, I, there's this level of apathy. I can't describe it. Um, and you know what? It's not just among the people. It is among people I'll term as thought leaders, people behind microphones, who are who appear to be well? I'm okay with you know things are going okay. They're going to work out. Just relax. No, no, I'm not going to relax. You know why don't you put the microphone aside? I'm not going to name names and get off your you know and let's go. Let's go do. I mean, let's be proactive. Um, but what the fact that we've got a God-given duty and a responsibility to, to to bring our country really ourselves and our country back in line is understated these days. Um, that's how I feel. I don't know if that made sense, but uh, yeah, that's how I feel. You know, absolutely. I, I, my father used to tell me when I was a young boy uh, that 
to whom much is given, much is expected. And you have this God-given liberty. You have this God-given power for self-determination in life. And if you ignore those things and ignore your duties based on those powers and rights, you are really worthless to your family, your children, and grandchildren. And it's something that we have got to convince Americans that there is a need for them to fulfill their duty as a citizen of the state that they live in. It's absolutely critical that they do this. It's not optional. You have to get involved and you have to educate yourself and you have to act. And, and so when we talk about action, you know, I've watched patriots do some really stupid things. The Malheur Wildlife Refuge was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen patriots do in this country. You know, when we were in Ferguson, we took a stand, but we took a stand on private land. We took a stand based on the laws of the states of Missouri, and we took a stand with the permission of the landowner whose land we were defending. And so we had the moral high ground. Now, when you go and take land, take possession of land that doesn't belong to you to protest or do whatever, you're pretty much involved in the commission of a crime, are you not? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, what I'm deeply concerned about as an American man is that when we say it's time to take action, that we not only do it in a morally justifiable way, but that we do it in a legally justifiable way, right? That we have, have a foundation to stand on both on legal principles and also on moral principles. And, and in our society, I think David would make an excellent case that those two are not the same thing. What's necessarily legal in this country is certainly not moral. Abortion might be the most egregious example I can think of, but I don't want to go down that road right now. I'd like David to paint a picture for us. I'd like from David's view to understand what is the moral foundation of power with the individual and how does that individual God-given power get formed into a government structure that's both legal and moral and representative of the people's interests? Because right now our government doesn't look like that. And I'd like him to to tell us what that looks like and then contrast it to where we are today. And I, I think most of us may find his answers fascinating. I can't wait to see what he says. Mr. Kelly. All right. Well, if we look at the biblical Judeo tradition of the old and the new Testament, and we analyze that, we see that we as human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And we've all heard the phrase that we're all created equal, uh, that we are endowed by our creator with certain rights that cannot be taken from us by anybody, not by our neighbor, by a public official, by the government itself. We have these rights that can't be taken. They are ours. And the only way they could ever be taken is if we violate someone else's. And that's when the government has the right to do something and intervene because they're securing our rights, you see, not the other way around. But otherwise, these rights are natural. They're, they're just part of us. 
these come out of the nature of being human and they're not given to us by any human power or any government, as I said, and they cannot be removed or denied, as I said, only when they need to be secured because of our violation of someone else's. Out of that, we, as a result of that, we have an individual God-given right to have powers to create a community that makes sure that those rights are established and secured and we have the moral basis within a group of people within our society that we are connected to where our individual right then becomes part of a community right and a duty there's where the duty comes in to protect and preserve that right and make sure that it is secured for everybody's good within that community we have a very powerful authority that comes off that and i don't want to expand this too much. I want to keep it simple, but there's one other piece. And that's what I call the right of the elector. We talk about the right of the voter, but it goes beyond that. The elector is the one who gives consent to a representative to be concerned about his interests, that he has the consent in his hand. And as the community, that consent is then transferred to a representative who is obligated by duty to make sure that they respond and represent that individual or those individuals that have put them in that position. And here's the key. If they do not, if that representative does not conform to the interests of that community, the community has the power to rescind that consent, to remove it and pull it back. So that's kind of an over, you know, simplification of the, of the picture. That's a fascinating statement in light of where we are today in America, because if you guys remember just just a year or so ago in North Carolina, the governor started pushing all of these draconian anti-Second Amendment, anti-Constitution, anti-God-given rights, gun restrictions. And people of North Carolina immediately responded with a recall petition. Well, the response of the governor and the legislature was to then pass laws changing the recall laws of the state to protect the governor. So they went from something like 90 days to gather signatures down to 30 days. And they went from some number like 10% of the number that voted in the last election to 25%. So they upped the percentage of signatures to protect the governor, and they shrunk the time by almost two-thirds that you were allowed to gather those signatures. And see, this is this is something that is evil beyond. Like in Missouri, we don't have an effective recall election law. So if we have someone that's violating their oath and not representing the people or the constituents that that voted them or elected, the electors that put them in power. We don't have an easy way to recall them in Missouri. And that's enormously problematic. That is something that has to be restored first at the community level and then be restored at the state level and eventually hopefully restored at the federal level. But this is something that absolutely has been in a very slow, methodical, uh, devious way. This is a power that has been usurped from the American voter. 
and the American elector and, and these state citizens, their power to recall their consent has been thwarted by the legislatures, by the judges and by the executive branch people in government in a very devious way. And that's something that has to be fixed, has to be addressed. Sam, if I may interject one thing, and that is, this isn't something that's brand new. Like this is all of a sudden an awareness. Remember I went to that, that's one of the three things that we have to put back. This isn't an awareness that is just something we're realizing now. I can trace this back 167 years, okay? To right during the Civil War, the first what I call the first Civil War, because we're still in the second one. But the point is that what you're pointing out, this one example is multiplied by tens of thousands of examples. And we won't talk about it today, but when we go into training on this stuff, there's actually a term of art for it. And uh, it's is is the tool of the oligarchy, of the elitists and the way that they have learned how to control the people. Yeah, this is a, this is a fascinating thing that has gotten no attention at the local and state level. But we have got to get to a point in this country where the people have their power restored. And the only way to restore that power in a, in a, in a um, democratic republic where we're electing representatives is we have to have both the power and the authority to efficiently recall people that represent us that have decided they're no longer going to represent our interests. Maybe they're going to represent the interest of a corporation or maybe the Chinese government or maybe all of the things that we see going on today. The reason we can't fix this is because our power to easily recall our consent has been taken away. Is that, is that the proper way to say that, David? Absolutely. You're hitting on a, on a major theme, but it actually goes and adds. There's two other themes that have to be included, not only the authority, but a mechanism and the access to all the pertinent, relevant, vital and necessary information. You have to have it's a three legged stool. If you don't have all three, you're going to fail because it's like a stool will fall over with only two legs. Roger we that. have to have all three of those together. Yeah, and I can think of a perfect example. Everybody remember the discussion uh, back when the Republicans had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, just recently in the Trump administration. And it was a known thing that there were a number of congressmen and senators that had basically committed sexual harassment, sex crimes with the people working underneath them. And they had used the taxpayers' money to defend them legally, and we still don't have the information on who those people were and what crimes they committed. And so I can see in the three-legged stool you describe how critically important the information side is. That information leg is critical as well. Absolutely. To, to, to holding people accountable and making sure that our representatives are representing our interests and not up there committing crimes and stealing and doing what they do now. And Sam, yeah. the piece is that that needs to be local because every problem is a local problem. If you stub your toe, you don't go to Washington to get ice to fix your stubbed toe. That's <laughs> true. You go to the refrigerator, you pull out the ice and you deal with the problem. Every problem of any sort is always best handled locally. That's why the grand jury, for example, is so important. 
Well, I think we could go on for five hours with examples of, of how trying to solve a problem in D.C., like a water problem in South Dakota or in Wyoming, what a disaster that's been for the people. And if and, I can, Sam, if I can interject one thing here, I think a, a work in progress that we can see right now, or an example we can see, is what's taking place in Maricopa County. The uh, Liz Harris and, and others got together um, and uh, petitioned the uh, Maricopa County Maricopa County Board of Supervisors for an election audit. Two point one million votes in Maricopa County. Uh, that went to the state legislature. The state legislature said okay you know no worries it came back to the county officials of course there was a fight between the state and the county uh but nonetheless here we are the ballots are being um, forensically audited but that was done at that local level and we can do the same all across the country we just have to have the wits about us in my view and the desire to get off the the, the flipping couch or, or whatever chairs that we're sitting on and to do it. And there's more to do than just that, but that's one example, which is why, and then I'm going to shut up here and give it back to you guys. But this is why I believe, folks, and this is why I'm so thankful to have Sam and uh, David Callahan. Make sure, folks, you mark this website down. I'm going to spell it for you, okay? Get a pencil? Got it? Okay, good. It is C-C-A-C- us.us there it is on your screen it'll be in the program description box at hagmanreport.com but apparently a lot of people don't like to like to go there they can't find it whatever it's real simple click that click that box and, and i should add if you scroll down a little bit you're going to see a pdf download just for the people tuning into this broadcast download the pdf um, of the three volumes for 776 more on that later though sam i'm going to kick it back to you uh i just wanted to kind of interject that go ahead sir I appreciate that, Doug. I think that's an excellent example. Um, does anyone know, have any current information on the judge that apparently recused himself from the case in Maricopa County? It's uh, the hearing on this was kicked to another judge, a not so, uh, not so friendly judge or friendly to the cause uh, for political reasons. And I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, and sure. the hearing is on Thursday, I believe it is. But nonetheless, the counting, the, the audit is still going on based on what I'm seeing, unless I'm looking at something that's, that's uh, is just a maintenance kind of thing. But, um, and it, the audit has gone on. So, it, and it looks like the forensic, this is not a recount, folks. So don't send me emails. I got email that's a recount. No, it's, this is a forensic audit. So that's the status right now. And uh, you can tune into, uh, there's a link on our website for uh, uh, news and such about the Arizona audit. But uh, that's all I know, sir. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I, want to, I want to say that David's, David's series of books, he's got three volumes that, he's, that you can get in a set in a PDF download. And he's knocked the price down from something that would normally be $50, $60 down to $7.76. And if you're the type of person that wants to understand at a detailed level what our founding fathers did, what, what happened, how did things start to go wrong and who was involved and what the dilemmas that occurred based on the actions and then what the solution is. If you want details at, at a scholarly level, um, I can't encourage you enough to download this three volume set. It is phenomenal work. 
And uh, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever read. And uh, for the Americans that have the mental horsepower to get through this kind of information, it's highly recommended. Um, the, the first volume is called The American Problem. The second volume is The American Dilemma. And the third volume is The American Solution. Now, this, this is probably the best source ever, ever, ever written on these topics. And so I would highly encourage you to, to get to that website and for $7.76, download this information. You will find it invaluable as we start to move forward with action steps in each state to fix this country. And we need people that understand that information in every state. We need at least four to 500 people in every state to understand what David wrote and why it's critical. And that will help you guide your state to security and safety and stability, which those three things ultimately lead to prosperity. And that is what we all want for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, uh, for our children and grandchildren. We want prosperity and we want long-term prosperity. We don't want short-term bubbles, boom and bust cycles. This is not what we want. We want long-term uh, stability and long-term prosperity. And this is what, this is what having a properly set up democratic republic will provide for you. And the need to take action and get involved and lay these foundational things in your state cannot be overstated. I mean, it, if you want $6 a gallon fuel, moving to $10 a gallon fuel, if you want a two by 12 to cost 60 bucks instead of 16 bucks, sit on your couch and do nothing. But understand this, you are hosing your children and grandchildren. You may not suffer to the degree they will, but the people that come after you will suffer enormously. It will make the Great Depression in this country look like kindergarten recess. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we tell you now is the time for action, can't state that emphatically enough. The time for talking is over. And so what we're doing at the Freedom Center is we're going to bring, we're going to pay David Callahan to come in and to teach a two-day course on the critical path, the executable action steps necessary to reestablish a moral, just, representative government in your community. And to do this community by community in your state until you take your state back. And when we take 35 to 36 states back, guess what? We're going to take back the federal government. But it's going to be done morally. It's going to be done justly. And hopefully we will avoid a shooting war in the process. Because if we don't do anything, the level of stability warfare causes is something the average American cannot even comprehend. David Callahan. David, what would you add to that? Yes, sir. David Callahan. Yeah, um, I want to answer that original question Sam asked because it's completely in line with what we're talking about. There's a third, you know, critical action step concern that the people of this country need to get wrapped around their, in their minds, and that is the sense of urgency. We don't have any time anymore. We, we are at a critical point where 
we're going to get to an unrecoverable situation very soon if we don't begin to learn what we need to know first and then apply it. My book has been a 12-year project, and I've done a lot of study how, how the founding generation beat the British. That was the question I wanted to get an answer on. And when I went back and looked, so much of what we think we know isn't correct or we don't, it's, it's hidden from view. And I could give all kinds of examples that are very simple. But let's just say we've got to get our minds wrapped around how we can get to that place of being aware like we need to be and how we can restore our safety and security. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said that stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. <laughs> and we are a stupid people. I don't mean that with any disrespect for my fellow brothers and sisters in America. But we are, and we've got to pull ourselves out. Bonhoeffer also said in that letter he wrote that the only way that you can ever get out of stupidity is by divine intervention or some cause that pushes you out of it. So we're in a real quandary right now as to how we're going to respond and get out of it. And I'm very excited to help people to get on the right track and to learn some very basic things and put together a right direction for all of us. This is about our local communities and our states restoring uh, a democratic constitutional republic again. So uh, somebody might ask, David, if they call into the show, they may ask, well, can you form these committees and, and, and restore representative government in your community? Can you do this through like uh, the Republican township structure? And, and I'm curious as to your answer on that. Definitely. The thing that's really, really great is that we aren't having to go back and do it the way it was done the first time. We actually have the ability to do this within the established legal system, within the established laws and the established um, policies that are on the books, that are in the, on paper. The problem is that we're, how do I say this? We're, we're a, um, a disobedient, I, that's not the right word I'm thinking of. Uh, we're a lawless society today. We don't follow the law. It's all there for us if we wanted to use it. But our problem is, is that we've become completely self-centered, narcissistic, psychopathic in our ways that we operate. Even if we're not psychopathic, we're operating as if we are. This is the things we need to we need to realize and get out of the stupidity. The problem of being stupid versus malice, it's very difficult to work with a stupid person because they don't even know <laughs> how to respond. <laughs> Whereas a, a person with malice, you just tell them, hey, what you're doing is bad. You got to stop it. When you begin to at attack or, or respond to a, a stupid person, they will respond to you because they don't realize they're stupid. Well, what, what I find amazing is when I, when I see a, a person in Lowe's or Walmart and I ask them, how long are you going to keep wearing that mask? What has to happen before you're willing to take off the mask? I have yet to get an answer to that question. I get this glazed, dough in the headlight look. Yep. And they are more than willing to follow the orders of the federal government or the politicians without thinking for eternity. And I think that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Uh, when you're dealing with stupidity or ignorance or a lack of 
investment in valid logical thought. You ask someone a simple question, how long are you going to keep wearing that mask? What would have to happen so that you would feel comfortable taking your mask off? And you know, I've yet to get an answer. I probably asked 57 people that question. I've yet to get one answer to that question. You know, you know, Sam and, and David Callahan is my guest and Sam Andrews. Um, if Americans thought Biden wouldn't even be in office, the left would not have control over everything if Americans thought, or at least the majority of Americans. Am I right? I, I mean, the, the, the left controlled media. I mean, the media controlled left media. No, left controlled media. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, they're telling Americans how to think, but Americans, and, and at least on the left, or at least the non-thinking, are accepting that as gospel. Read the, okay. I would agree with that statement 100%, but I would also add that we're going to look back on this time period in American history, and someone other than me is going to realize that allowing the government to educate our children was the largest strategic mistake ever made in this democratic republic. It was the first step, Sam. That was yes. what they did first to put these things on the track. There was no compulsory education laws in this country until 1851. And by 1918, every state had one. And that was the first step of the progressive movement to get things to the place where we would then educate. I call it conditioning. To condition us, and by the way, four or five generations now of us as children were conditioned toward a certain mentality so that now you're told put on a mask and you don't even question it. Yeah, think back to two weeks to flatten the curve Yeah, and look at where we're at now and how easily these sheep were led to the slaughter. And now we have a VP of Pfizer coming out and talking about the lethality of these vaccines. This is a pro-vaccine guy who's a professional with credentials above and beyond reproach telling you that this vaccine stuff is a bad deal and this whole thing's been a giant scam. And, and I would say easily 60% of the people in this country bought into this garbage because of their inability to think logically and their lack of education. I mean, I, I didn't sleep through science class. I know a virus is around 0.1 microns. I know the whole size and most of these masks are 50 times that large. I mean, these masks are like trying to keep a mosquito out of your backyard with a chain link fence. The insanity exactly. of that is hard to even fathom. But let's not bring science into it. Let's, let's say we've brought science into it and let's ignore the actual science and let's indoctrinate these people and train them to be the good little sheep that we can lead to a slaughter down the road. Because I believe this whole scam is about population reduction in the end. And I do too. I would concur with you exactly but, right on track. But David Callahan, let me ask you this. All right. Now this really got, got my, got my goat. Um, you've got Burbank city council, for example, this past weekend, um, there were right side broadcasting news went out and did a, uh, coverage of a rally for a business called Tinhorn flats it's a tavern out in Burbank. All right. They, they, this tavern was shut down. It was an operation since, um, 1978. They're paying property taxes. Anyway, it was shut down during the, uh, uh, this, this, whatever this is. Um, 
And they reopened, and of course they were doing business, and the, the city started shutting down again, and so on. And it went back and forth for a while. The city cut off their utilities. They brought in generators. Uh, the city, wow, and, and went on. Okay, uh, the current status right now is is there are there are one hundred and fifty two hundred dollar locks on the doors. There are sandbags piled up in front of the doors, and a permanent fence, ten foot high fence has been erected around this this business. And the fence is permanent. I mean, they dug down into the concrete. Okay, so here's my question. I told you that because I have a question here, believe it or not, folks. Here's my question. I want to know, if you owned that tavern, if you owned that business, what would you do? Because I right now, Okay, you asked the city council of Burbank for assistance. You got Constantine Anthony on there. He's a flipping socialist. Ain't going nowhere. The judges, all corrupted. Uh, you know, I'm sick and tired of this. If I owned that place, I'm going to tell you, some of those fence posts would be up the backside of Constantine Anthony. I mean, physically. That's where I'm at right now. And I ain't going anywhere. Because a life sentence to someone my age and my health, Hey, <laughs> it's a walk in the park. So exactly. you tell me, I mean, what do we do? Because we're past the point, in my view. We're past, we're beyond the point of saying, please, or saying, okay, I believe you. Damn it, I want some, I want some action. I want some action right now because we're losing our country and we're going to lose it faster in the next two, three months and then the last two, three years. So what do we do? I'm going to reverse answer. I'm going to go with the three answers I give. First of all, we have to have a sense of urgency that there's a problem and that we have got to wrap our minds around the fact that we don't have any time to waste anymore. Then we have to go and we have to become aware of what it is we need to know. And we have to be aware that we don't know what we don't know and what we think we know isn't so. And then we have to take the steps toward restoring our security and safety and putting back together in every local community the mechanism, the authority, and the access to the information required that we can solve the problem locally. And we're never going to solve it until we go through that process that I just gave you. It's a reversing of the answers that I gave to Sam from that first question. Wow. Yeah, and I would say, I would say, Doug, that if you let them sandbag your door and put a fence around your building, you've already lost the battle. Yes, you have. Uh, what we did at the Sugar Pine Mine, when the BLM, the federal government, was burning miners out of their cabins and stealing their land, is we stuck a hundred armed men on the property at the Sugar Pine Mine, and we held the line, and we beat them in court, and and that's that's what that tavern owner would have had to do. In the short term, of course, David's giving you the long-term answer. But in the short term, you basically need armed men on the property to hold the line. And then you go after them in court. And we actually won the Sugar Pine Mine. We actually won. Those gentlemen won in court. But only because we bought them the time to fight in court. And, And... this is the problem when everyone wants to sit on their sofa and no one wants to act like a man and pick up arms and stand a post and, and object to criminal behavior by government. This is what you get. You get what you got at that tavern. 
you get a, a man by himself, his family, a few employees get bullied, get threatened. They get the sheriff and the SWAT team out there to, to wave guns and all kinds of stuff to threaten them. Well, you know what? We weren't scared of federal agents at the Sugar Pine Mine. You know, we assembled a bunch of men and said, you want to play? Bring it. We'll take you guys on in a firefight. Bring it. We're going to stand here peacefully until you decide to do the right thing. And we're going to go after you in court until the judge orders you to stand down. But if that's not good enough for you and you really want to fight, bring it. We'll kill as many of you crooked bastards as we can. And see, at some point in this country, men are going to have to start acting like men again. And they're going to have to stand up for what's right. And they're going to have to do it in a way that has teeth where there will be a cost assessed for criminal government behavior. And, and, you know, that tavern owner, you know, God bless that poor person. But, you know, if he had been in Missouri and Lebanon, Missouri, he would have had 300 armed men telling the sheriff, oh, no, you don't. You're not enforcing this baloney. But see, the problem is in his locale, he didn't have 300 Americans that had skills. And so you saw what happened. That was the result because nobody stood with him. Good point. When we go beyond just the issue of, you know, how we're being abused. See, I, I answer the way I did because there was there is no immediate answer because of what Sam said, that this guy has already been violated way too much. This, this uh, restaurant been violated way too much. So the only thing we can do in that case is to reset, to get back to where we can fix things the way they need to be fixed. The point is, we don't have that mechanism in the local in our local communities that should have been able to stand up and thwart the, you know, and, and, and deal with the offense. It's not there. So you can't do what needs to be done, except going back to what you know is the rights that you have that, that the government can't take away and do, you know, as Sam said in Lebanon, where he's got a lot of people that are trained, they can come together and do what they need to do. But that's, that's the exception, not the rule right now. So, David Callahan, you're the guy through your books, through your works, your three volumes, you do walk us through the, really the, the problem, but you go beyond that. You also offer the solutions, how we can take back our country by, by, by the information in the books. Um, and, and again, folks, see, uh, uh, I'm going to give you the name of the website, ccacus.us. The program will be uh, linked in the, or the uh, website will be linked in the program description box. So that, that's what you'll do. And you're also going to be at the uh, uh, Freedom Center to provide a, uh, um, a class as well. And yep. per perhaps we can do this more in virtual classes. So, but we have to do this now. We've got to do this now, don't we? I mean, there's, we're out of time. We are out of time. Uh, There's no time to waste, Doug. There's no time to waste. Yeah. Sam, uh, go ahead. Uh, we have about seven minutes left. Go ahead and uh, take this home. Well, we don't have time to send a guy like David around the country, state to state. Uh, David is what we call a force multiplier. His information and the process and sequence, the critical path, the action steps and the proper sequence set up for success that we're going to present to people 
he and I do not have time to travel to each state to push this information. What we need are people in each state to come together to a central location so that we can train a lot of people in the same place in the same block of time and get this done because we're out of time. Things are going to get a lot worse and they're going to get worse a lot quicker than people imagine. And so we've got to get, we have basically three types of players that we need to educate. We need to locate and find the John Hancocks in each state. These are the successful businessmen that are being destroyed by this crooked government that will help fund the education and the restoration um, and the alteration of the current system. So we need to identify, find those guys, educate those guys, and get them involved in their local communities. Second is we need educators. We need guys like David that can take this knowledge and disseminate it in their state. They can come to the Freedom Center, they can get this information, and they can take this package of information and tools we provide them and go back to their state and start to reestablish moral, fair, representative government at the local level and let that build to the state level. Okay. And then the third type of person is we're going to need some direct action people, people like me who are strategic who can organize, who can direct, who can understand the big picture in each state and coordinate the efforts. And so these three types of people we need coming from every state in the union to the Freedom Center, getting into these classes, getting these tools, getting this, this program set up, fine tuning it for their state and making this happen. And, and that's how we're going to restore this pub, republic legally and morally and hopefully avoid bloodshed. That would be uh, the best to avoid bloodshed. David Callahan, I'm going to give you the last uh, few minutes. Uh, please plug your website, the download, and uh, I'll just take it. Okay. Yeah, the website again is CCAC us.us and you can go there and i've decided that i want to get this information out to people i've actually added at the beginning of the 70 pages is actually a workable plan back in january i went to virginia and spoke to two groups i can proudly say that i had a 100 percent uh acceptance of what i shared there not one person in the room about 60 people in the two meetings uh, didn't agree with what it was that I suggested as a way that we can put together a plan that will uh, reestablish our democratic constitutional republics, meaning every state being put back into its proper guaranteed by the constitution position. And uh, that resource uh, of that book has all kinds of stuff in it that can be very useful uh, from the beginning to the end. And it's in a PDF, which means you can go there and you can just simply uh, do a search on a certain concept. Whenever you've read part of the book and you want to learn what else is on that concept, you just put in into the find search that word and it'll take you to every place in the book that it is. So even though it's a 948 page, the three books together is 948 pages, we have the ability to get to any information in it very easily. And again, we're trying to urge people 
to look at the opportunity to come to the Freedom Center in Missouri and let us sit down with you and take you through a very systematic, well thought through set of action steps that you can take back home and begin to use in your local community. Uh, that's what this is all about. Um, my efforts began 12 years ago when I realized that uh, something wasn't right. We needed to figure out a different answer. Uh, I've experienced personally some of the pain of uh, being attacked. My family was destroyed by this government of ours. Uh, so I've got a personal interest in finding a solution. And we, we have, I believe we have a viable uh, American solution here, something that actually can work if the people would just come together and understand how to put it together, same way they did back when they barricaded Boston Harbor in 1773. And the people of America got just fed up and said, we're going to not take this anymore. We're going to do whatever is necessary to fix it. They who can remember the good past are blessed to repeat it. But they who cannot remember the good past get what's coming to them. That's the bottom line. And we'd better remember our good past so we can repeat it. David Callahan, truer words never spoken. I'll tell you that. I want to say thank you. Uh, 12 years of your life into three volumes, actually one PDF download for 12 years, 948 pages for $7.76, a blueprint for success in action. And uh, I want to thank you both, David Callahan and Sam Andrews. Uh, Mr. Callahan, both of you, please come back on again, okay? We would be glad to. All right. I appreciate both of you. True statesmen, true heroes. May God bless both of you. Thank you so much for coming on. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Again, Freedom Center USA, Sam Andrews, along with David Callahan, ccacus.us. Did you get that? ccacus.us. 776 for a three-volume set. 12 years of this guy's life? Yeah. Uh, Sign me up. Um, link is going to be in the program description box at hagmanreport.com. Again, my thanks to both of them. And thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt, for your your efforts to getting putting that together. I appreciate that. Then we're right back with Sandale. Sandale.com. Stay right where you're at, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Welcome back to the Hagman Report. It is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. And if it's Tuesday, you know what Tuesday is, right? Tuesdays with Stan, Stan Dale from standale.com. Um, I got to tell you, the first hour of this program, the first hour of the program, uh, wow, if you are just tuning into this hour, go back and listen to the first hour as well, if you don't mind. First hour, my guests were uh, Sam Andrews from Freedom Center USA and David Callahan. Uh, not to be confused with Harry Callahan, although he did play that on TV. David Callahan from uh, ccacus.us. Did you get that? Yeah. It, the link's going to be in the program description box at hagerreport.com. That's hagerreport.com. Folks, real quick, I just want to tell you about this. Uh, despite all of the things that you have to do, I know you've got a task list for, for spring and summer a mile long, I'm sure. And, you know, this month, April, it's meant a lot of not-so-fun things. You're getting, uh, uh, getting your taxes done. I mean, need I say more than just that? Um, you have one thing on your list, though. If, not, if, if it's not on your list, it should be on your list. And that is to make sure your life insurance is in order. All right? And I'm serious about this because you need to make sure that your insurance is in order. 
if you need a positive experience to balance out all of this stuff you have to do, consider protecting your loved ones by getting life insurance with Policy Genius. Now, Policy Genius scares captive agents. I'm going to tell you right now. You know how maybe your father had all of the guy from Prudential come in and collect premiums every, every month? Remember that? Remember those days? Not anymore. All right. Here's, here's how Policy Genius works. Getting started is extremely easy. You go to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Since the licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, like my dad's insurance company, right? There's no hassle. And if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. It's a kind of coverage, kind of service, I should say, that has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google and other places as well. And the best part, all the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the hand, handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice, they're totally free to use. Policy Genius can provide or can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool, as you did perhaps on April Fool's, if you got pranked by, oh, I don't know, a son-in-law? I'm just kidding. You could save 50% or more by comparing life insurance quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to life insurance, when it comes to insurance, period, it's nice to get it right. That's policygenius.com. And tell them that Doug Hagman sent you. Yeah, I get extra credit for that. Extra points. All right. With that, uh, oh, the other thing too. Have you seen, I don't know whether you saw recent reports about uh, EMPs and, you know, the threat from the sun and threat from uh, places like Iran and such. EMP Shield. Go to empshield.com. You need to do this too. This, I'm telling you, what Stan Dale has created and his team of experts have created is a remarkable insurance policy in and of itself. This is an EMP shield that will protect your equipment from EMP, blast from EMP. Blast is not the right word, but you get the idea, right? Have one for your home, your business, your car. And if you actually, if you use the promo code Hagman, you get $50 off. But if you, if you go for more than three, you get extra money off. Go to empshield.com and check it out. Use the promo code Hagman. You will not be sorry. Let me tell you, it, 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 the peace of mind is incredible. All right. Now with that, I have to say this, a lot of headlines. Holly has been working triple time putting up headlines for you at standale.com. Photo of the day, thought of the day, picture of the day, video of the day, joke of the day. Oh, it's all there. Go to standale.com and, and uh, take advantage of Holly's fine work. And also while you're there, make sure you join um, Standale's Patreon. It's well worth it, let me tell you. With that, Standale from Standale. Oh, needs a couple minutes? Say no more. <laughs> Excuse me. I do have a couple of things real quick. And just give me a yell when he's ready. Um, how many people have seen this? Well, actually, there's two things. I'm going to hit the less palatable one first, I suppose. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Um, have you seen this, folks? On the, um, It was on the Federalist. And regardless of what you think of the publications, Federalist or whatever, the um, FDA purchasing aborted fetal tissue and aborted the FDA purchasing the 
human remains of aborted babies, murdered babies. Have you seen that? What an, what an amazing investigative piece done by the Federalist writer. Uh, I don't have it right here with me, but folks, you've got to, it'll be in the program description box at HagmanReport.com. You've got to read it. You've got to read it because it is just absolutely beyond the pale of things. Um, and I, I don't, again, you know how the Center for Medical Progress, and I should add, I should add as well, uh, she's building off the reports or the information obtained by Judicial Watch. Now, the other thing too, speaking of Judicial Watch, they've been hot after the um, FBI, um, well, as reported on this by Conservative Treehouse. I'm going to read this headline to you. Major ramifications. Judicial Watch FOIA request uncovers direct evidence of California government and Biden campaign instructing social media firms to remove contents. Did you hear what I said? Judicial Watch has done an excellent job discovering direct evidence of collusion between the government. Now, now think about this as, I, as I'm going through this. Between the government officials, the Biden campaign, and social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, to censor speech and to remove content. Now, you might, you might say, well, there's nothing new there. We knew that. You did, but the evidence of the conspiracy side. And one could argue anything from restraint of trade, in my view anyway, when, you, when I look at this, restraint of trade, because it does affect people's ability to make a living, especially if you rely upon uh, social media to do so, uh, to a criminal element, including but not limited to a criminal conspiracy and fraud. There's a huge report uh, that Judicial Watch, I mean, a huge ton of evidence that Judicial Watch uncovered about this. I would urge you, everyone, to go to conservativetreehouse.com, theconservativetreehouse.com, and check that article out because it's, it's, an amazing, it's, it's amazing how deep they get into this and how deep this actually is. All right, with that, is Stan Dale's ready. So, Stan, how are you, sir? I'm good. Can you hear me? I can. It's on. And okay. aren't the flowers well, like cherry lovely? blossoms up back of the window there? I'm getting ready for spring. Yeah, yeah, cherry blossoms. Nice, Look at it? that, huh? I can oh, smell them from and how here. How are you getting along this week? Um, let me check. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm good. Good. Huh, well, okay. Good. Count them up. Count them up. Well, All right, boy. There's a lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, one that I'll get out of the way here early in slide 53, guys, is about George Soros claiming he is a god and the creator of everything. And you can click on either the, the blank picture or the text underneath. Uh, the, the picture is not, not there. I don't know how to get it. But uh, anyway, if you click on that and get over to the article, this just kind of confirms what a lot of us have thought is that George Soros really kind of wants to be the ruler of the planet, the, you know, the creator of everything. He's such a conceited idiot. So anyway, this um, is not okay. Wait a second. This isn't uh, this isn't the Onion or Babylon Bee or anything like that. This is actually he actually said this. I am God. I am a God. I created everything. Yeah, they they put the quotes there. Look at the article, Holly. Where are those phones? I can still hear them. 
Oh my yeah. word. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I knew the guy was a narcissist in my view, anyway, a, a psychopath again, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but, wow. Yeah. This article, as you can see, is from news punch and, uh, you know, I, he's, he's a kind of a bad witness for the Jewish folk, uh, being Jewish. Of course he is. Um, and he has been at this so long, kind of, consolidating uh, nations and uh, helping to overthrow them under his leadership in Europe and the Middle East. He's working on that as well. He's laying the groundwork for whoever the uh, Antichrist of this age is, the global leader, you know, the dictator, whatever. Wow. But You're to right. see him come out and say this, uh, he really must kind of look in the mirror and go, ah, I am God, you know. I mean, it's just the Soros empire here. You know, he must have his foot in every pie, including the leading industrialists of this country. I'm going to tell you something. If that's what if that's what having money does to you, I don't I don't want any part of that. I, I mean, you know, just wow, that's the hubris there. Well, it says in the article that he's put a lot of donations into the uh, American ruling class, which is the deep state, the shadow government, and he is just he's got so much money that he buys power uh, here in China and Russia. China is probably not going to be super responsive to his desires, but Russia would be. Uh, China is not kind of on the, the list of those in the, uh, the world government at the time of the Antichrist. Uh, I think they're on, on the outer. But with that exception, um, you know, he's, he's bought everybody. Um, again, again, like last week, I, I mentioned like in slide 54, uh, this far and no farther, we must stop this stuff. That's right. Yeah, and it's all being funded by the Soros and the deep state that uh, he's kind of bought. Maybe bought for sure. I mean, it's just in the yeah. article. Um, I, I just have to point this out real quick, and, and I, it, I won't take any more of your time. Uh, That's all right. In the article, it says, "Next to my fantasies about being God, I also have very strong fantasies of, of being mad." Uh, I think fantasies. I think you're. I think that train has left the station. In fact, my gra my grandfather was actually paranoid. I have a lot of madness in my family. So far, I've escaped it. Yeah, you better check that again, Georgie. All right. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. I forgot to mention that. But yeah, I mean, you have got a madman running the planet. You know, behind the scenes, Stan. And I'm going to ask you this question. And this is not a. a a softball question, nor is this a spoof question, but I, I want to know how can somebody like that now, and, and this is a serious question. Um, you got to consider, uh, you know, there's 300 and some odd million Americans out there. Uh, even if, even if there's a hundred thousand patriotic Americans, why is this guy still sucking air? I, I mean, I, I, just asking. I, you never know where he is. He might even be airborne all the time. You know, you just never know. Okay. In fact, his idea for a global planet, I'm sure that like Bill Gates and his ilk here, really support that. And uh, the fact that he's got uh, fingers in Europe and uh, in Middle East, uh, you know, Soros, that means that uh, they want to join with him because he's got the got hold of the, the countries and leadership of those countries to form this world government. And, you know, Gates can't do that, but uh, the rest of the billionaires and, and rulers of this country would be glad to join with him. So that's probably why they're protecting him. You know, they they agree with him, and uh, he's helping to mm, 
make the new world order. And that's what they want. And if you look at some of the discussions that Gates et al. have said, is that we have way too many people, you know, consuming food and resources on the planet. And we need to cut it down, you know, to, I don't know, 5 million people or maybe 500,000 people. I forget the exact figure, but they want to lose a lot of the population. And, of course, the COVID thing does it, uh, helps us out by killing people. And, you know, version two and probably version three coming will just sweep the planet and wipe out just huge amounts, like 80% of the world population, which takes care of the problem uh, of too many people. But then you've got to have legislation set up, new rules, you know, in a, a world government. And uh, these things have to be addressed country by country. And that's why the Gateses, et cetera, are supporting Soros. It's just sad. They, they really love what he's doing. It's going the way they want to go. And it's a logical way, they say, because, you know, we're eating too much food. We're polluting the oceans, using all the fresh water, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's our fault. And um, so he can get rid of warfare that way by controlling all the country's governments, whoever the world leader is going to be. Yeah, wow. uh, I, I'm very sad that Soros, being a Jew, has betrayed his faith, his people. He might be, you know, one of those uh, of the uh, synagogue of Satan that Jesus speaks about. I don't know, because not well, all the Jews, they follow the law. Judging by his own admissions, I would say that's a pretty doggone good possibility. But who am I to judge about this guy, except what he says and what he does? Yeah, um, well... Well, you know, I said this last hour, and I'll just say this, uh, you know, for the people listening and watching, because I've, I've got some, you know, I, I look at quotes like this, and I, I, you tell me about the, you remind me again about the population stuff and the mechanisms that are against all of us, against you, uh, you, your, your, your business, your website against me and this program. And uh, I said this last hour that, uh, you know, when you get to be my age, I'm not going to speak for you, but life sentences really uh, don't uh, don't have as much impact. The threat of spending a life in prison doesn't have that much of an impact uh, at my age. So anyway, just saying. Well, look, if they come for us, they come for us. Uh, for for those that are caught up in the rapture, then we won't have that uh, life sentence. We'll be taken out of here. Um, you know, if it happens before the rapture that they lock us up, um, well, we'll all be together, I, I would assume, in various places. Uh, they're certainly striking, uh, all of us that are in the forefront of the Christian witness on the Internet. Uh, I don't know how they're doing it, but I have crazy problems happening on our computers. You know, every day I've got problems that are, uh, you know, I have to solve about why they're not working on a, an application or even up at all. Today, the computer I use to upload all of our images and stuff we talk about froze. It froze really bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had to reboot that and it's still at this moment, I don't know if it's working yet or not. No, still not working. So how do they do that? I don't know, but, uh, it, they do everything they can to slow us up. But fortunately we're one step ahead of them. I can still be on the air and talk about these things you know, thank and God. talking about deaths and disease. Look at slide uh, 55, uh, either at the picture or, yeah, at the picture there. Um, you, you can see that. Uh, they're burning bodies over in India from the COVID-19. Uh, let me just see here. In, in the print, you can see, you know, which one did I go to? The print goes to that as well. Yeah, it does add. Anyway, this came from an article uh, in New Delhi. India's coronavirus second wave is rapidly sliding into a devastating crisis with hospitals unbearably full, oxygen supplies running low, 
desperate people dying in line waiting to see doctors, and mounting evidence that the actual death toll is far higher than officially reported. Each day, the government reports more than 300,000 new infections, a world record, and India is now seeing more new infections than any other country by far, almost half of all new cases in a global surge. Now, I think from one of the reports I got here, if I, can, I can't get to it, but it did say that they were getting 2,000 deaths a day, I think, at the moment in India. And looking at that picture of these you know, people have been burning their family members and friends on these pyres, you know, to kill the disease or whatever. Um, they're having to do this out in the fields and in the open spaces because the, the, mm, the crematoriums are melting down because they were running 24 hours a day. There are that many deaths over there. And my heart goes out to them. I, I know that they have various issues to deal with, with religious uh, rules from the various religions there, with, uh, um, uh, with people not wanting to be, uh, you know, injected or, you know, vaccinated, whatever. Um, and my heart goes out to them. I know they have problems with sanitation and all kinds of things, and it's getting worse because of this COVID. It's the only country over there in the Middle East or Asia that's got that many deaths. And people are, you know, the scientists are trying to figure out why this is happening in India. I, you know, what's different about that is it's the strain and it's coming after it leaves there, it's coming to us. You know, I mean, look at slide 52 under that. Um, uh oh, yeah, it doesn't go to the site. But anyway, I'll show you the picture. And this is pictures of some of the mourners at the gates of the field where they're burning. You can see, you know, wives, family, everything, just, you've got to, you know, you just got to feel sorry for them. They're really getting hit hard. But to your, but to your point, why now? Why now? India, is it something different? You know, we don't, we, I guess we really don't know, do we? Um, no, it, I mean, I haven't found an excuse for it yet. And they are looking for it because if it's a variant uh, that's doing this, you sure as heck don't want to see it over here. Uh, anyway, no, that, that's true. And, and look, folks, for those, because I'll, I'll get emails. Look, it's I, I've never said that there's not something out there. Just because I got an email, I think over the weekend that I, I, I understand there is a coronavirus. Okay, but it's not what it's represented to be, in my view. And most assuredly, a paper mask that's uh, you know hanging off your face is not going to stop it, or a cloth mask, or whatever these morons make you wear. So anyway, so okay, but that's that's a sad situation there, whatever's going on. Hmm. Yeah, I saw a picture of Kamala Harris on the news, or a video of it on Fox, uh, I think it was yesterday. And she was, you know, wearing two masks, you know, while she was in the White House or in that, that area. Outside, she didn't wear, but uh, but one, I think. But, you know, she what's she doing? She's supposed to be handling the border crisis. And she's back in there arranging something else, but it, she's not doing what she's touted to be. Oh, oh, oh Stan, Stan, wait a second. She's handling the border crisis. Don't you, you got to give her credit because her book is in the hands of every child that comes across the border. Hey, her book made it up to my hometown with, with the little girls that were um, ferried, ferried up here from McAllen, Texas. Uh, that's a whole nother story, but uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. So there it is. I mean, I got a picture of her book, and her book is in the hands of all these little little girls and little boys, and even some not so little boys and little girls. So come on, Stan, yeah. give her a break. And she's busy. Yeah, tackling. yeah. Well, I'm going to reiterate this far, no farther. It's time for Patrick Henry to step up and kick him out of the White House. They don't belong there. 
you and I agree on this. Well, spank my backside and call me Patrick because I'm here. <laughs> Where, where'd that come all from? All right, all right. <laughs> it, it came through the earpiece. I no, I need <laughs> some magical jelly beans right now or something. <laughs> I see pretty colors. Right. Dude, weren't there flowers behind you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, your flowers are gone. Nah. Oh, well, I went to a beach setting. Yeah, that's all right, though. All right. Uh, you know, I change it up every now and then so that we can enjoy, you know, nature and things like that. It's, uh, you, you moved. You're, you're messing with my mind. All right. Yeah, continue, sir. I don't want to take your time away. All right. Uh, slide 50. Uh, a report by the Vatican's own newspaper reveals that Pope Francis recently hung an image behind his desk depicting a naked Jesus Christ con uh, caressing his dead apostle Judas. Now, I find that hugely offensive, and it just points to this current pope as to what his real allegiances are. He's not right. You know, he needs to go. Uh, he, he's leading the flock astray, just like, you know, the, the prophecy of the, the 65 popes or whatever it was, the last one would be, you know, misleading and uh, the, the, the faithful in his faith. Uh, I, I, mm. You know, the only thing that comes to mind is, if I had an audience with the Pope, I'd just say, what in the hell's wrong with you? And I mean, literally, what in the hell is wrong with you? That is, that's very offensive to me. That's very offensive. I wonder if you know who's George Soros. <laughs> have, have we seen them in the same room? I'm I just I, asking. I don't know. I just. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's just, wow, wow. Mm. While we're on the Pope, um, the if you click on the picture of slide 51, Right. You get to the article well, in, the, in the text as well. The Society of Catholic Scientists to hold extraterrestrials, artificial intelligence, and minds beyond the human, non-human intelligence conference in Washington. That's a mouthful for a sentence. I think you should have broken it too. But anyway, what they're doing is they're holding this conference, you know, uh, to look into the existence and uh, of the extraterrestrials and things like, or can they their souls be saved and Artificial, artificial intelligence, is it uh, a moral imperative not to use it or to use it? And, uh, you know, if they're holding a conference on this, you know, scientists tells me we must be hugely close to full disclosure about the aliens being here. When you got to Pope, the, one of the largest religions on the planet, saying, hey, you know, we need to investigate this. And, you know, there might be something to this. We've we got to have a look at it and see how we handle all these things. It's telling you the, the time for the disclosure, open disclosure of the uh, quote unquote alien presence here is at hand. And it's just every tick of the clock. I expect it to, to be out there in the mainstream news more than it is now with pictures, of, you know, real pictures of the craft and the beings on board. We're going to see it this year sometime, I'm pretty sure. They're just really ramping up the people across the planet religiously, scientifically, you know, politically for a meeting off the world, you know, beings that will claim to be our elder brothers from space and will claim to have a way to run a peaceful earth and solve all of earth's problems. Oh, I'm beating a dead horse. I've said this so many times. Yeah. It's anyway. a cookbook. It's a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, it is. How to cook humans. Hmm. And they're doing Two a serve man. Job. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, uh, I mean, uh, look, 7 billion people we need to witness here, don't we? Um, as, as opposed to hypotheticals about uh, about extraterrestrial life. But okay, you want to prep us? Here you go. There it is. Hmm. 
Yeah. I got a, an email from a friend of mine, uh, Bob Steely. He was a former ICE uh, operative uh, down at the border years ago. In fact, he trained Tom Homan, who is the, uh, the former ICE uh, deputy director or director here. Um, and so uh, Bob Steely and I have talked back and forth by internet to email for you know weeks, months, whatever. And occasionally he finds an article to send to me that's quite interesting. And, uh, well, some of them are really interesting. Others are interesting. But this one here in slide 48, if you click on the picture, it shows a picture of Buffalo Bill Cody, uh, the Pawnee Indian chief for the, of, the, uh, um, of the Pawnees, obviously. Uh, in 1822, a picture of him that hangs in the White House Museum. And uh, he... Yeah, is one of the people that dealt with Buffalo Bill. And in the other picture on the, uh, the left there, black and white, showing all the Native Americans who served with General MacArthur in World War II, uh, I think the, uh, the Pawnee are probably second to the left of uh, General MacArthur. But they helped an awful lot in the time of Bill Cody. They helped the U.S. Army to go in and clean up the area uh, in the middle uh, of the United States where there were Indian wars going on. And they sided with the United States against the other Indian tribes who were just killing each other in their own little civil wars. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Now, in the, the um, uh, article, which you, you can go to um, uh, Wikipedia, I think, and get uh, Bill Cody, you can see his history in, in relationship with the Indians. But what uh, you know, Bob Steely's email was telling me was that these Pawnee saw giant you know, bones, and uh, they had the, the legend of the flood that they told uh, Wild Bill Cody, or to Buffalo Bill Cody, and uh, this you know they had the bones of these giants to prove it. And I thought it was just really interesting that you know even here we had the bones. I don't know what happened to them. Of course, they all kind of disappear, as you know. Uh, none of the good stuff ever stays. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, to speak to that, uh, I happened to across this a number of years ago, um, a, a newspaper article. I, I probably found this, I don't know, uh, five or six years ago here in my hometown, an article back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when they were putting railroad tracks in through our hometown, they found the bones of giants um, and they moved them somewhere. I don't know where, but when they were digging ah. for the tracks. So uh, I find it really interesting. So I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at this and would you, wow. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how, I, I'm sorry if I diverted your thought on that. No, that's, you know, it's a good question of why, you know, where do those bones go? They did the same thing with the giant bones they found in the Mediterranean on islands there and uh, around the Mediterranean coastline. And in every place where they found these uh, giant bones, they put a Catholic church over the top of it. Now, I'm sure they didn't build a Catholic church over the top of that railway you were talking about, that, but somewhere those bones were distributed, you know, out of sight. Right. And it, it must be something that would be diminishing the power of, of the Vatican or something that recently want to hide it. I'm mm -hmm. just not sure. It's a, it's a good, good point there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well. So, you know, the flood did happen. The, the Hopi have the legend of the flood. They didn't have the giants in their legends, but, um, you know, the Pawnee did. Um, they seemed to be pretty, pretty good guys. They had battles with the Navajo, as did many of the tribes. 
Uh, I've Holly and I've met a couple of Navajo Braves down in uh, Arizona, and they are tall, very healthy guys. You know, even in the pictures, they're the tallest ones. So their gene structures for tall people. What that means, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, as, but you got this from your, your friend who trained Tom Homan. I interviewed Tom Homan in D.C. He scares me. He scares. I mean, that guy. Oh, so the guy man who trained Tom, because Tom Homan is, I call him Mister. You know, that's his nickname, Mister. Um, yeah, nice yeah. guy, but boy, I'll tell you what, I would not want to be on the other, on the bad side of Tom Homan. Um, that's for sure. But uh, he speaks uh, plain talk and uh, yeah. doesn't mince words. No, you know, no, no, that's for sure. But uh, great job on that. That's that's kind of interesting. I mean, not kind of. It's very interesting. Yeah, well, I call Bob Steele. His name is S T I L L E, and when he was at work, they they used to call him Steely or, or Still uh, Steel, rather things like that. And so I nicknamed him Superman, you know, Man of Steel. And so Superman, if you're listening to this, thanks for that article. Appreciate it. Yeah, and, yeah. and ditto's from me too. And give Tom my best, and tell him I'm tell him I'm not, and tell him I like him. That's all. Hope you like I'll do me. that. I, we, I wanna... We're LinkedIn on LinkedIn together, Tom and I. Yeah. Just uh, tell him not to hit me. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. But no, he's a, he's a yeah. great guy. No, I understand. I right. think it's slide 49. This is something that uh, Holly's mentioned a couple of weeks back on the on our show, our main news page. But in the slide, I show up there in the picture, you're about to see a Russian military recruitment ad and videos promoting the U.S. military. Let us look at the differences between the two. And it's a, it's a video. It's fairly short. But it is so, it is so sad uh, because it shows our guys wearing high heels and, you know, touchy-feely, you know, between like sexes in the military. Uh, and if you click on the link, it takes you to the, the video and uh, says the same thing I said, and then it starts to play. And you can see that the Russian military recruitment is for tough guys, you know, like SEALs. You know, it's, uh, yeah, sorry, it's playing here. I didn't mean to do that. Well, we can, if you want, we can. Yeah, just play that. And, and when, yeah, it won't be long. Just, uh, I think it's, oh, minute 20, something like that. So. All right, if we can get that up, up that'd be great. Look at. All right, here it is. For, for the radio audience, dead air. It's uh, you're about to see a Russian military recruitment. Это первый день твоей новой жизни. То, что было вчера, вопросы могут остаться без ответов. Но разве ты сможешь потом спокойно спать? Узнать тебя, познать границы своих возможностей. К черту границы. Ты готов ломать себя до изнеможения. Каждый день здесь будет to leading in the area of diversity and inclusion. And we can only be the best when diversity and inclusion is who we are and what we're about every day. Это ты решил себе что-то доказать. Командир здесь только для того, чтобы ты мог увидеть в нём врага, потому что без врага нет боя, а без боя нет победы. Diversity and inclusion must be infused into our training and development program. Твои зайти, стать лучше, чем он, и вернуться назад победителем. Потому что завтра первый день твоей новой жизни.
Okay, here we go. Just hang <laughs> me up. Yeah. You got to be. I, I want to, who, who do I slap for that? I mean, seriously. Hey, hey Tom, go, go, handle this, okay? Mr. Holman, handle <laughs> You call the right man and you may get more results than you realize. Hang in there. As I said, you know, um, Trump and his friends have not gone away. They're active behind the scenes one way or another. My word. Oh, that's just wrong on so many levels. I don't even know where to start. But, but see, this is, okay, so, you know, Stan, how did you find that? I mean, LifeSite News. Okay. I don't know. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, someone sent it to me. Yeah. I forget uh, whether it was Steely or someone else. Wow, man, I'll tell you what, we're cooked. Turn the lights on. Yeah, they're going to run up and kiss and hug the enemy, I guess. Uh, you know, it just, I can't believe I'm watching that. You know, I'd like to see the Marine recruitment versus just the Air Force or whatever that was that was doing that. I can't see the Marines doing that, but then maybe they are. I don't know. Our, our government here with the policies they're passing down to the military, especially these left-wing policies that they're espousing, it's going to kill our military even further than it has. It's just demoralizing. Who wants to join it? You know, I mean, anyway. You, you know, <laughs> we said this was going to happen when a Burgerfell went into effect, or when a Burgerfell decision at the Supreme Court was was uh, done. What was that? Just five years ago, six, five and a half years ago. Um, this is okay. I, I just again, I'm speechless on the russian thing look at slide uh, 37 click on the text i think where is it yeah click on the text and get to the sputnik article on new radar that can scan earth's surface through any obstacle it can scan down several feet from just this drone and see what's under the ground there now suppose we use that here in our country to check and check and see um, where did you bury your munitions and your uh, weapons, or where did you bury your gold, or you know, um, this kind of a spy thing can just fly over your neighborhood and say, oh, there's a guy that's got guns buried there. You know, it's so intrusive. A great uh, scientific tool, you know, to to look at old archaeological sites and things like that, but you know, used in the government's hands for purposes of spying you know, on the citizens. It's another kind of nail in our coffin. You just, you can't hide what you've got. You're just going to have to realize that they can just see through almost anything. Okay. Now I'm looking at this. Uh, wouldn't there be any kind of, I mean, there's got to be a way to beat this, right? So not that I've got anything hide to your hide. Stuff, but. Hide your stuff away from your house. Hide, hide away from your house and maybe a, a forested area where the trees or thick, but this thing goes through the trees. So even there, it's probably not going to be uh, unnoticed if they scan that area. That's if they do. But if you dig down, let's say, uh, to where the top of whatever you're putting down there is uh, six feet deep, and um, their scan only goes three feet or something. I don't know how far it actually goes through the dirt. Depends on the dirt type. Uh, then they won't be able to see that there's something there. But what they will be able to see is the dirt has been disturbed when you were digging the hole. Um, oh. You know, I, yeah. for the life of me, I can't figure out how to beat it. It's just too much. And if you bring in the uh, quote-unquote alien technologies, I'm sure they can see even further. They have other ways to detect people, you know, not playing the game that uh, we're being instructed to. What a disappointment. 
Oh. It's a Russian invention too. Oh. Yeah. So it works. <laughs> it probably does. Probably <laughs> a right. stolen patent from someplace. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Slide 38. Let's look at that picture. Now, something that I had thought about once and then forgot to check it out, and I did the other day, on the International Space Station, it's not connected to ground anywhere. Like, here we can go out and we've got a copper ground rod in our uh, outside our house that goes down into the, the mantle of Earth and uses the Earth as a place to discharge lightning strikes or, you know, static electricity of any kind into the dirt so it doesn't bother you, especially with an EMP shield, of course. But here on the ISS, you'll see in a red square there, that's a little box that they've added to the space station uh, to be able to discharge static buildup on the space station out into the plasma of space. And the plasma of space is very thin, mind you. But that little box was to remove static charge buildup from solar wind, uh, from uh, uh, maybe the moving through the plasma fields you know, of space. And in the lower right-hand corner, you see a picture I injected there showing damage to one of the solar panels that supply power to the ISS if, before they put this thing on there to, to, to discharge into space. These arcs were occurring between the little parts of the solar panels and burning them out just from electric charge buildup. And, of course, if you were you know, before they put, put this in, I'm sure that there would probably be instances where crewmen on the ISS would uh, touch a panel and get a shock or something, you know, uh, inside the, the ISS. Uh, just something I never thought about. And to be able to discharge that voltage out into what they call the plasma of space amazes me. I, you know, hmm, didn't know that they could do that. So there must be some super-duper little gizmo in there that can fire that out into the plasma of space, which is very thin, and distribute that charge out there away from the ISS. I don't know, Stan. Don't be so humble. I have a feeling they put an EMP shield up there for you. Or, uh, think, <laughs> but no, seriously, um, that that would be a hell of a long ground wire. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty toasted there, isn't it? When I'm looking at that picture, that inside, yeah, yeah. You see, wow. if they even raise it up, you know, twenty or thirty volts, it'll short out across those um, uh, those panel parts there for the solar panels. Hmm. <sighs> Interesting. That's something. You know, recently I remember reading that they were replacing the solar panels up there for some reason or another, and that was probably one of them. Wow. So you can get shocked in space as well. Does that? Oh, I'm thinking about this now. Does that um, tell us anything about low Earth orbit? Or, or I, I guess would this be low Earth orbit? Uh, or this reasonably so it's not at like 25,000 miles it'd be a couple hundred miles out in orbit so I guess the atmosphere there is thick enough you know that they could discharge into that I, I stand corrected there's probably enough stuff in that part of the orbit that they could mm. uh, uh, discharge that uh, without much trouble uh, okay things well. you don't think about go to sit on the John and the ISS without a static discharger and you can get a real surprise <laughs> The mental picture that creates. Anyway, yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got enough uh, problems out in space. We, we, okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, when you try to create or, or recreate an Earth environment in orbit or in deep space, there are a lot of things that you have to to recreate somehow. 
like gravity and charge equalization, things like that, and sunshine and local weather conditions inside it. They're, they're just things that Earth, dwelling on Earth, you get just naturally. But out there, you got to figure out ways to kind of imitate what God does on the Earth when you're down here. They still haven't applied the uh, magnetic field or the gravitational field uh, process to the space station. Um, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have to spend portions to get artificial gravity in some of the models they've got for a larger space station. Oh, well. Wow. Slide 39. Hmm. Uh, slide 39, if we can get that up. Come on. There, okay. it's, uh-huh. Yeah, it's a YouTube video taken in Saudi Arabia on a, uh, uh, yeah, click on it and get that. Uh, obviously, we've got, I've got an EMP shield ad uh, looking okay. at me at the moment on that. You guys are you everywhere. That, yeah, they are. Our IT guys kind of figured out ways to get to Google and just throw it out into the world somehow. It follows you when you're looking at things on you know, Google search and Yahoo and on uh, YouTube and things like that. Um, but that, that video shows um, Saudi Arabian desert and mountains with an abnormal snowfall. I never thought about the Saudi desert, the Saudi Peninsula being covered in snow, but it sure is. You can see it there now and that. Uh, it was taken with an iPhone or something like that, obviously, because of the squeezed image. But, uh, mm. you know, where'd the desert go? Uh, somewhere in that town toward the middle to the end of it, there's a Saudi Arab there with him who stands out there in the paddocks and sinks up to his waist in some of the snow and the, the potholes there. Of course, the wind probably drove him in to fill it up, but it's still an impressive uh, video. Wow. There he is. <laughs> Whoa, he says. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Wow. I guess we could sell, we could probably sell, sorry, sell snow to the Saudis. They're so enamored with it there. Maybe that's a product we could package and send to them. <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, I, I'm looking at the cloud formation as well. Uh, the cloud formations, I guess. Um, mm. Interesting. Uh, I, yeah, okay. Uh, snow in the desert. Why not? Hey, what this is up there yeah. for is to accent the climate changes that are occurring, um, which virtually do follow Earth's magnetic field. But um, that kind of tells me the magnetic field must be shifting more than we realize affecting, of course, the climate. The more volcanoes, more earthquakes. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how we can uh, check the magnetic field drift accurately uh, in some reporting stations somewhere around the world. Uh, but I'm sure that this is a direct result of that continuing to shift. And with the Earth's magnetic field weakening, it's going to be chaos because if it's the major driving force on the, the, the clouds and the weather, where where are we going to drift to? What You know, um, you know, are we going to have, uh, you know, hot sandstorms and firestorms uh, in the United States over our crop-bearing states? I don't know, but it's definitely a part of this climate change that is not due to man-made efforts in industry or due to cow gas or whatever. This is something that is directly related to the sun and to Earth's magnetic field. And, mm. Yeah. So, in fact, well, the, okay, the, the magnetic field, I just want to be clear on this. The magnetic field um, does, um, if you're, so is it, okay, so if it's moving as it is, the magnetic field will affect, impact, I should say, uh, the climate 
Yeah. Stru- okay. See, the magnetic field of the Earth is tied to the um, uh, the telluric or Earth currents that flow just beneath the surface of the Earth all over the planet. And um, these telluric currents uh, actually drive the clouds, you know, in weather. They, they, they link to it. Um, don't know why it does, but, but they do. Got it. And um, that's what you've got to look at, changes in, in the, uh, the magnetic field. In fact, look at slide 40. The effects of solar flares on Earth's magnetosphere, that's, you know, our magnetic field out around the Earth. When you get solar flares, that affects things uh, on Earth into the magnetic field and then into the charge, circularly through the planet and telluric and also uh, atmospheric currents. And when you have more solar flares, more violent solar flares, it affects our weather uh, in strange ways, whether it's a direct hit or a glancing load or a magnetic field, and, and obviously hence to the planet. Good article mm. there. Good article. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, where was that? Okay. Then look next to that slide 41. And we're waiting for NASA to come up. Yeah. Last week you, you showed a very impressive picture of uh, like this. And um, it looked like we were going to get hit by something. I don't know, like a massive flare yeah the flare cma combination mm-hmm. if you click underneath that picture on in the text it's going to link you over to nasa's um, sdo uh, solar observatory uh, solar dynamic uh, observatory and shows you the last 48 hours of the sun turning so you can see where flares and coronal mass ejections came from in the last 40 48 hours um and when you you can let that run there for whatever it is, 48 uh, seconds or something, I think it is. And where did I put that article? Okay, in slide 41 in the text thing, is that where it is? No, text is linked also. Uh, it says, increasing solar activity. In the past 36 hours, this comes to spaceweather.com, the sun has produced three relatively bright coronal mass ejection CMEs. And then you watch the movie there. So far, they were flying to the left and right of Earth, with none landing a solid blow. One of the CMEs launched by the fire fountain uh, eruption described below might weakly sideswipe Earth on April the 30th, but the forecast is uncertain. This is, We're just seeing more and more, uh, you know, solar flares and coronal mass ejections and coronal holes way early in this solar cycle. Uh, and it's got the scientist puzzle, but to me, I'm saying that this is because the sun is going through a phase state change, which is eventually going to fulfill prophecy by throwing up a cloud of dust around the sun and uh, blocking sunlight to a degree for a few days, maybe. You and know, it's like, it's always, it, 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 it reaffirms the Bible in my view. Just, I'm just saying everything, science, people say, well, you know, science uh, versus uh, the Bible separate. No, 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 no. The Bible proves science and science or science proves the Bible, whatever. They, they're connected. So thank you. Thank you for mentioning in that. that, um, that yeah, in that uh, 48 hour uh, display there, back toward, I think, the beginning of it. Yeah. Look, look at the lower left and you'll see a filament come off of it. There, there it went. A dark filament threw out some stuff too, as well as you know the coronal mass ejections in that uh, bright spot up there. 
Okay, okay. Have you ever seen um, Heaven is for Real, that uh, documentary about that kid who died and went to heaven? I have not. Heaven oh. is for Real. Look it up. Okay. Heaven is for Real. I think you can still find it on like your, um, your, your satellite uh, imagery and stuff on whatever you use, DirecTV or whatever. We watched it this weekend, and uh, it was incredible what this little four-year-old came back to tell his parents and friends and stuff about what he saw. He got to sit in the lap of Jesus, chat with him, see some other young kids like himself and a little girl uh, who um, uh, was sick in the hospital. He did go visit her later because she came back uh, alive, and so he knew her and went to visit her. Um, but there was a girl, I think she was in Europe somewhere, that had a similar experience where she died and went to heaven. And she saw Jesus, and she was an artist. She came back. She was older than four years old. She came back and started to paint his face, what she saw. Now, both the little boy that went up, the four-year-old, and her, said that Jesus had bluish-green eyes. So you think, well, now, he was Semitic. They're brown eyes. So I started looking. And in slide 47, you see a picture of a girl in the Middle East who has greenish, uh, greenish to blue, greenish eyes. Throughout the Middle East, you can see these, uh, these uh, uh, people with this color eye. So it's not always brown eyes. So I thought, well, all right. Uh, let's see a picture of what the kid saw and was discussing as what Jesus looked like. Slide 45, if you pick on that, his, the girl painted blue-green eyes like that. And that's what she saw Jesus look like. Semitic nose coming down. Um, the, uh, the beard, of course, is not anything particular. It's just the Middle East uh, at that time. The hair was shown to be kind of windblown up there. But the features, you know, are kind of a broad, uh, strong face. And so I thought, well, let's compare that to the 3D images that uh, the History Channel um, got when they they created the Shroud of Turin image and then made it 3D so you could look all around the Shroud of Turin with a, a face on it. And that's in slide 44. Now click on this to show you that it's 3D. Um, I have the left view uh, from the Turin shroud. In shroud. You can see the nose, the light is on the right side, but the nose is pointed to the right. And then the right view, the nose is pointing to the left, showing it is truly a 3D image they produced. Now compare that to the painting by the girl who said she saw Jesus when she was there. Now you can notice some things. Um, both noses are long and Semitic. They've got that hangover part. Uh, with hers, it's hard to tell it's a Semitic nose because it's straight on. The eyes, um, you know, the eyebrows are thick on both of those. Um, uh, just looking at the, the eye spacing is about the same. Uh, understand she painted this from memory, but uh, there are similarities between the Shroud of Turin and what she said that she saw uh, when she saw Jesus directly. Um, so if we go over to slide 43, I've collected other drawings and paintings of the face of Jesus, either from the Shroud of Turin or, uh, like in this case, from what she saw in the uh, direct encounter with Jesus in heaven while she was out of her body and dead. But notice the similarity between them all. They all have this Semitic nose. Um, they have these bushy eyebrows. Um, and the 
structure, you know, like the hair hairline down to the eyebrows. It's about the same distance. So I'm beginning to think that the, this girl and the little four-year-old boy, uh, you know, uh, that went to heaven when he died and uh, sat with Jesus in his lab. I'm beginning to think these are true representations, very close to what Jesus looks like in the ascended form. You know, not the ones from the Shroud of Turin, obviously, but when he's uh, got his body back. And the little boy said, um, you know, he said, look, uh, he had funny marks on him. And so his dad said, what do you mean he had funny marks? He said, well, he, on his hand he had a mark, on the other hand a mark, and, you know, uh, he had a mark under his white robe here he showed me on his rib, where the, the longinous spear stabbed him to be sure he was dead. And, um, you know, the things a four-year-old was recalling in the movie just astounds you. I mean, four years old, and his mother's pregnant, and uh, not pregnant as far as he knew, but, uh, you know, he said to his mom, I have two sisters now. She said, no, you only got one. He said, yeah, I've got two. You've got one in your tummy, and it's going to be a little girl. So he was shown in advance of what was going to happen, I guess because he met her while she was up in heaven still, and hadn't gone into the, the, the womb. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of all the things the little kid said. You, you know, you just kind of go, wow. How can this, you know, be a figment of this kid's imagination? It's over his pay grade. So, uh, you know, I'm not getting any credits for people going to watch that movie, but, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty it far really over my of, pay grade too. My gosh. Okay. So, uh, so, okay. Uh, I got, I have a lot of questions, but none I can articulate very well. well try. I'm sure. Right. So, uh, okay. So, you have a little boy and a little girl, two separate incidents, incidents legitimately die. Yeah. And come back, they're resuscitated or whatever happens. They're brought back yeah. to life. Yeah. And during that interim, they spend time, according to their, their um, reports, with Jesus in heaven. Huh. Okay. And yeah. Independent of one another, they just by way of description, this is the description. By the way, yeah. this description is going to, um, the, the, I've seen some recent comments by people on the left, especially in people who don't believe saying, uh, you know, it's, it's all fairy tale. And of course they couldn't, he, one of the things was, you know, he, he could not, and you pointed it out. I'm glad you put that picture up there. Um, he couldn't have had, uh, anything but, but brown eyes. And therefore, you know, he would be more of a, uh, a black person, and uh, no disparagement. Yeah, Semitic, yeah, yeah. Semitic eyes. Right. So, okay, th there you have it, uh, folks. Uh, look, look at picture or slide number forty-seven on the show images page. Um, wow. Okay, and the, the questions I have obviously are just uh, wow. Um, why uh, them? Did, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. The little boy said uh, his dad asking said, well, "What did it look like in heaven?" And the little boy says, well, like here, except prettier. Um, we had trees and grass. And while I was up there, he said, uh, there were a lot of children playing and running around uh, Jesus at the time. And, uh, you know, I, as, as he said, I got to sit on his lap and talk to him. And he showed me those things, those marks on his body. And, uh, Is he you know, dogs? I, I'm just asking. Uh, any, dog, any, any dogs up there? <laughs> Actually... 
I think he did see different kinds of animals up there. Yeah, you'd have to watch the show to be sure, but I'm pretty sure he did say that too. Because I remember Mark and Holly, I said, hey, for sure, little Isabella's going with us. You know, she'll be up there. Cool. So, as long as, long yeah. as yeah, and it makes me think of the, I think it was a Twilight Zone episode where, uh, uh, a man and his dog died, drowned, and they were walking by. Um, oh, I can't remember that. They were walking by yeah. the gate, and the dog wouldn't go in, and then they would find another gate, and the dog was okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that one. That was good. Mm-hmm. All right. We only have about four minutes left. Or, would you say, Eric? Eight? Yeah, about four, five three minutes, and minutes. Three and a half minutes. I just he just whispered in my ear three and a half minutes. So, all right, gone over. To, oh, sorry, did you have anything else you want to say? No, no, it's all yours, okay. friend. Okay, um, I had an out of body experience. What I told you about back in '69, I believe it was, and it changed me. Um, I was uh, not quite yet. Uh, what was that? Uh, say thirty seven. Yeah, I wasn't thirty yet, but my objective in life at that time was to be a clever inventor and investor or whatever and to be a millionaire before I was 30. And then I contracted this illness that was a, a bacterial infection they'd never seen before and it made my whole body hurt. And uh, I was laying in bed, you know, um, and I think I'd taken one of the antibiotic pills that was experimental at the time and laid down in the evening in my flat there, uh, in my apartment, uh, on the bed, all stretched out, uh, trying to put my limbs in a position that they wouldn't hurt, you know, they reduce the hurt. And it, it turned out to be that position with my arms outstretched, like on a cross, my feet uh, cross over each other and spread out, you know, or spread, put down the, the length of the bed as one would look like on a cross. But that was just, you know, me trying to uh, reduce the pain I was feeling. And it was severe pain. And I, I, I heard a funny thing. Uh, I'll tell you about that, the, the, the out-of-body experience in a second, but when I came back from that, back into the body, my objectives in life changed. Uh, I wasn't interested in becoming a millionaire and that kind of stuff. I was more focused on people and um, you know helping people. I, my goals in life changed in that one moment. And I wasn't really an active believer or anything like that. You know, I'd been baptized and uh, you know, probably five, six years earlier. And, um, but this, you know, I backslid because I looked at the worldly things, but now it's back on track. Anyway, the, the how much time we got here? About three minutes. Okay. Uh, about uh, a minute left, my friend. Oh, a minute. Yeah. Oh. All right. Another time we can talk about it. I've talked about it on your show before, but, um, I did a life review out there. I felt the peace of the judgment of my, uh, life and the things I'd done and was not ashamed, but just, you know, like a neutral person reviewing my life and, you know, the good and the bad, what I'd done to cause people harm uh, by what I said or did in the life to that day. But that was a turning point, which eventually led me to, uh, you know, be invited to be part of uh, that research program down in Australia where I would see more dream visions about five o'clock in the morning for several days. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anyway. You're, you're, uh, so that, that did change your priorities. And, and folks, if you, uh, if you remember, long-time viewers and listeners will remember Stan talking about that, but uh, we'll have to really address that some other time, too, because I'd like to hear more of that. And, and you know, we all need to readjust our priorities in or out of body. We need to readjust our priorities, especially given the lateness of the hour. You're right. 
Stan, thank you so very much. I, I so appreciate you, all you do. You Good night. All. Thank you for your show, and uh, may the Lord bless you and your entry. Thank you, Stan. And God bless you, and God bless Holly. That'll do it for us tonight, folks. Have a great evening. HagmanReport.com. Bookmark, follow us on Rumble, subscribe, and give us a thumbs up. 